the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Chad Burton. Ah, we actually have the wrong image in today. I'm not Chad Burton. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. New Focus on Wealth is typically different than my other show, Rob Black and Your Money. New Focus on Wealth is a little bit more long form. Talk about some of the big stories that are out there. Get better strategy going. Better understanding of how to accumulate wealth. There was a... I, I would say a relatively big story in my world, something I've kind of been warning you about, and it kind of came true, and very rarely am I that kind of right. Uh, in such a short period of time, there's a massive shortage of semiconductors in the world right now due to COVID disrupting the supply chain a bit. That just a little ripple, that just a little bit. <clears throat> is throwing down what we're going to be able to deliver this year. So it's, it's there's demand. Companies want to produce, but they can't deliver because the supply chain's goofed. President Joe Biden talked about this yesterday with other politicians as well. And to say that he sounded alarmed, I, I don't get a lot of emotion when he talks, but he expressed alarm over a shortage of semiconductors. Many of the smartest people in the chip world are worried about something else following the shortage of semiconductors. It'll be the coming glut or oversupply of semiconductors. Wall Street is peppering chip CEOs with questions about rising lead times and double ordering. Those are terms that I don't expect a nurse to understand. I don't expect an ER doctor to understand. Um, I, I don't get the average person, a housewife, a soccer coach. So lead times and double ordered, both very famous. Lead times refers to how long it takes to actually get a chip after you order it. There's some terms on Wall Street, like day sales outstanding. Inventory. The inventory is a big one, because if you have inventory, you don't need people to come to work and manufacture things. And if they don't need to come to work, you say, why don't you clock out and not get paid? The current wait time for semiconductors right now is 14.1 weeks. That's up from 13 weeks in January. 80% of companies in the semiconductor universe seem to be affected. Broadcom, microchip, diodes, NXP semiconductors. Excuse me, I think I have to sneeze. I do. 
where did that come from? Um, Cypress Semiconductor, every semiconductor, not every semiconductor, because I'm not saying that, I'm saying that totally incorrectly when I say that. Um, 80% of semiconductors right now are having problems getting deliveries sooner rather than later. Any delivery that is over 14 weeks out turns into when that lead time gets that stretched, it creates what's referred to as a danger zone. Because that's when companies start to panic. I need that to get Christmas orders ready. And you're telling me it's going to be one week after Christmas? That's not going to do. The supplier says you'll get it in 14 weeks. Last time you got it in 13 weeks. That gives you a whole week of trying to figure out what to do. This makes you worry that there's a shortage. So you order more than you need to try to make up for it. So in the world of semiconductors right now, there's a shortage. Incorrectly, Joe Biden and politicians right now are saying, that's alarming. There's a shortage. Because the semiconductor companies have started to double order. And what that's going to happen there is there'll be cancellations. And it makes forecasting incredibly difficult for analysts. Is there enough? Is there not enough? There's enough to go around after all. Oh, what do we do with this extra stuff? Well, there's semiconductors. And the semiconductor that Elon Musk is using this year in Tesla will be a different one next year in Tesla. So what he's using now that he's waiting for, remember he shut down his factory for a couple weeks on manufacturing the Model 3, I think? Um, or like, what's, what's wrong? Do people not want it? Turns out semiconductor shortage. And this has hit Ford. It's a GM. It's hit every major car company that I can see. So very bad news for the supplier because canceling or cutting orders means that they have inventory on hand. And so the inventory starts to swell. And with technology inventory, you have to make it smaller, cheaper, faster. You have to move it. So in this case, cutting prices, right? That's bad for the manufacturer, good for the consumer. Chip investors have seen this many, 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 many times. It's notoriously cyclical, the semiconductor industry. Uh, you've probably never paid a lot of attention to Apple orders. There's a couple analysts that I follow that will go, oh, yes. Um, if you take, for instance, for the Apple iPhone 13, we know that they've already ordered 100 million phones. They want the next launch to have as many ready as possible. You've probably seen the Sony PlayStation 5 and the Xbox where they didn't have enough ready and the scalpers got them and the bots got them and they're all being marked up. I was able to procure two. Um, very luckily because I paid attention to when they first go on sale and I've been through this cycle numerous times that I knew there will be shortages, right? And then just by the time the shortages wrap up, they're going to come out with a pro version. I'm going to be like, oh, I didn't know. I waited for the pro version. <laughs> Anyhow, chip investors have seen the movie many, many, many times. On Wall Street, it's, it's boom and bust cycles with semiconductors. And this is the bad end of it when we start double ordering. Um, things appear red hot for semiconductors in the short term. 
I'm going to be a little bit more cautious on watching inventory builds and over not excitement, but over betting that they wouldn't get what they need. So they wanted to get what they'd settle for. The auto industry is a powerful lobby, and it is not a surprise to me that Joe Biden was talking about cars and semiconductor shortages yesterday. COVID-19 hit the industry hard. Car makers panicked and cut ship orders, thinking people aren't going to drive. I, I'm not driving as much, right? I don't, I don't have that nice of a car, but I do kind of miss it. Um, I've got a Toyota Tacoma, and... Uh, it's not the only family car. I don't think that we're like hillbillies and trucks and jacked up wheels or anything like that. But um, car makers panicked. They saw Rob's not going to buy a new car for, he's probably going to take this seven year car into nine, 10 years because he's put so few miles on. So car makers took too long to spot a rebound in vehicle purchases by some people who just didn't want to hit public transportation ever again. By the time they woke up, they'd cut their orders and they re-upped their orders. And now they're complaining loudly to Washington that they can't get enough semiconductors because the semiconductor companies were trying to be protective of over-making semiconductors. Oh boy, right? This cycle will work itself out. What I'm going to tell you to boil it down is it's very, very tricky. And it shows you the subtleties of Wall Street that you may or may not be aware of, double orders on semiconductors and how it affects the whole U.S. economy. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I look at investing as a, about a 40-year lifespan. Maybe I look at my career as a 40-year lifespan. I've been working probably since I was about 14, 13, scooping ice cream originally kind of thing, <clears throat> cleaning dishes. But let's say most people work from 20 to 60. And let's say you make $100,000 a year. <clears throat> that means you're going to make $1 million in 10 years. And over 40 years, that's going to be $4 million. Now, let's, let's say you lay, it live from age 60 to 100. That's not unreasonable. Let's say 60 to 85. You work for 40 years. You live off what you've invested in Social Security for 25 years. Or there's less conventional routes where you go, I'm just going to work till the day I die. Right now, if I were to be let go, if I were to never work in financial media again, I'm too young to retire, so I would probably take a pay cut to go work maybe, let's say, at Home Depot. My goal is to work till 60 in theory, even though I could retire today. I don't know what I'm going to do in retirement, and that's a really big question, and it's really important uh, because you don't want to, A, quit too soon and find yourself wanting to come back into what you're doing, or B, just be bored in retirement. It's kind of important. So 20 to 60, you earn $100,000 a year. That comes out to $1 million, right? Your total pool is $4 million. But then you go, well, the government's going to get 25% of that. Oh, dang, right? 
So now you're down to three million on the federal government taking their cut. And then you get into the state situation in California where they're going to take 10%. Oh boy, now you're down to $2.7 And then every time you buy something in California, it's got a 10% tax on it. A million dollars doesn't go quite as far as it used to. Oh, and wait, before all of that, you're not going to live off the $4 million that you've earned from 20 to 60 because you have to have gasoline, electricity, cars, houses, wives, vacations. And those all cost money. Weddings, kids, kids going to college. So do you see the important, uh, importance of understanding what you're going to make and what you're going to take home? Two very different numbers. And then what are you going to live off from age 60 to 100? That's the thing that upsets me the most, I think. I grew up in a very romanticized world, and I'm a little bit messed up in the head. I grew up with On Golden Pond, Henry Fonda. Look at that nice old man. He's losing his mind a little bit. He likes to scream a lot, but he's a nice old man, and he lives on a beautiful pond with a beautiful wife, and he's just getting older and older and older, and I bet this movie ends with him dying. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So I grew up some, like, bad romanticized images. Like, I'm, I romanticized the image of marriage. I was like, I hope I, I expect to only be married once and to have a beautiful wife and 2.2 beautiful children. That didn't play out that way. I'm not a serial marrying type, but my first marriage was a disaster. Lasted a year. Less than a year. I mean, we were done, legally done in like one year and two months or something like that. That's not good. And it wasn't like a Vegas wedding. It was, it, we, we were trying to be serious about it, believe it or not. But you work from 20 to 60. And like I said, you get some very romanticized ideas of what retirement is going to look like. For most Americans, it's going to end in poverty. If you live long enough, it ends in poverty. And I don't want that for you. I have nothing against people who live in trailers, and I think trailers are a beautiful and wonderful option for many Americans to keep their housing costs down. But if that's your only option and you didn't want it that way, that kind of sucks. If you wanted a beach house where you can have flip-flops and see the grandchildren, hey, grandchildren, go run out to the beach. There's never a tsunami. You're safe. And they're like, Dad, Granddad, my feet are warm in the sand. That's a lot of people's idea of retirement, right? I don't know if that's quite it, but it's, it's kind of romanticized. Yeah, you got to fund that goal better is the whole purpose of this show. And just to get you thinking, you know, there's different ways of getting there. You can earn more money, you can save more money, or you can invest more money. It's, it's, there's not many other options, in my opinion. Things change a lot in a 10-year period, too. Your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and your 50s. You can just imagine, right? Think about your dad when he was in his 50s and your mom in her 40s, and think about you in your 20s, and you're going to start growing into those roles. 10 years ago, Steve Jobs was alive. 10 years ago, we were on the iPhone 4. 
Amazon had no vans. Yesterday I went to the dog park, took 011010, and hanging out at the dog park. And I get recognized. It's kind of nice. Um, but you look around and you just see Amazon van after Amazon van after Amazon van. And you're like, I wonder how much goods they have in those Amazon vans. I wonder how much dollars. Like when a new phone comes out, are they like, are those worth a million dollars of inventory inside of them? Like, if you ever get a chance to stop and look inside an Amazon van when they're early on in their delivery cycle, it's packed. I don't even know how they get that stuff, much stuff in it. That's a miracle to me. I'm not sure about Elon Musk and driving rockets and having them curve and do 90 degree turns, but packing a van full of, of goods, woo, they do a good job of that over at Amazon. No companies 10 years ago had a market valuation of a trillion dollars, and it seemed ludicrous to even think of it. A lot changes in 10 years. You got to get snapping. You got to get cracking. You got to get going on your retirement plan because it happens fast. 10 years ago, Tesla was really a weirdo company that looked like they were kind of copying the Toyota Prius by going with this kind of electric car, the Roadster. Now they got the Roadster, the Model S, the Model 3, the Model X, the Model Y. They're a legit car company. Uh, you go into Toyota and you say, show me an SUV. They got it. Show me a truck. They got it. Show me a sedan. They got it. Show me a sexy sedan. They got it. Netflix was still doing DVDs 10 years ago. I can't even imagine anymore. Can you? Of buying someone a DVD, they'd be like, what is this? I still have some DVD players, USB DVD players, just because I burned a lot of my TV shows on a DVD, of which most of them I've burned and I've uploaded to YouTube, which you can check out at YouTube, robblackshow.com, or Rob Black Show on YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me at Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Number one song in America. AJR. I told you about him two and a half years ago. I kind of... I don't want to take credit for that, but that's one of those things that I like doing in life is listening to new music. What do you like to do? <clears throat> um, I can't do it for, for a, a living. <laughs> you know, my dream job when I was probably 18 years old was probably going out and signing bands. Uh, I went to UVA and uh, there was a bar called Tracks, And there was a band that would play tracks every Thursday night and many nights there was five or six people there and they had a violinist and they had this really eclectic singer songwriter guy who had some funky dance moves and sometimes he'd stop and bark during a song. And uh, a few years later, you know, this man as Dave Matthews. I used to see him with five to seven people in the bar. There was more people in his band than that he was performing for. Interesting guy. I don't want to get sued in any way, shape, or form, so I have to be very careful what I can tell you and not tell you. If you ever get me at a lunch, uh, buy me a drink, and I'll tell you some doozies about Dave Matthews. Some really good ones. And I'll tell my producer off the air. Just, or maybe when we start doing seminars again, you can come up and uh, decide an affidavit that you won't sue me kind of thing. Thank you. Thank you. 
800-516-1220 if you ever want to get your calls on the air. But yeah, that was my dream job. I Look what I'm doing in my dream job versus what I wanted to do for my dream job. I don't think I'm going to look back in life and say Rosebud or Dave Matthews. I'm not going to do anything like that. But that's the whole movie of Citizen Kane, right? Isn't it a story about a young man whose mom and dad died or left him at an orphanage and no one wanted him and he had a sled and he was happy and he was thrilled and he was stoked. And then he buys a newspaper and he goes to college and he gets dates beautiful women and he has a drinking problem and people sue him and it gets very dramatic. And he becomes the richest man in the world and he builds Xanadu. And at the end, he dies alone. And his, on his dying deathbed, he says, Rosebud. Rosebud. Well, I guess that's the very first scene in the movie. An old man saying, Rosebud. And you're like, where is this going? And it was the name of a sled. And he just, his whole life, he missed his youth. He never had his youth. He was never happy. So money doesn't buy you happiness. I think that's the point of that story. Charles Foster Kane dies alone in his mansion, leaving behind massive fortune a media empire, and a labyrinth legacy of successes and scandals. And I think it was a kind of a, wasn't it detectives who kind of, uh, news reporters who were kind of trying to unfold his whole story. Great film if you ever get a chance to uh, see it, if you have not. And I don't think I spoiled anything by telling you the ending there, but maybe a little bit. <laughs> almost ruined Orson Welles' career. Uh, or did it almost completely make his career? That's how thin line decisions get made these days, no? So pushing through my notes, um, I found this variant. Do you know what Clubhouse is? Clubhouse is a very popular room, uh, website that you have to be invited to. And we started hearing things like, oh, Elon Musk was, he says that he wants to interview a politician on Clubhouse. So Elon Musk is playing in Clubhouse. And then we hear Mark Zuckerberg made a surprise appearance to talk about augmented and virtual reality, which I don't want to say they're kind of like TED Talks for the elite to connect with us, the non-elite. Um, but Elon Musk doesn't have a good platform to go talk about Mars. So they create a web app called App. Uh, I'm sorry, a web app called Clubhouse, and it's getting some traction. Now, when I saw Mark Zuckerberg talking about virtual reality, I'm like, he's going to copy this. There's no doubt in my mind he's going to copy Clubhouse, and he's going to put it right on Facebook. And within a week, he started copying it and putting it in, into Facebook. I, there is some interest in that for me. Um, like I told you, I, my dream job was to be signing artists, music, musicians, as an 18-year-old kid. It wasn't a really well thought out idea, but it was an idea. Um, so Zuckerberg copies it and he's taking up a, a playbook from Bill Gates. And you've seen probably Bill Gates show up on Clubhouse talking about vaccines and such. I like the idea of the app. Of, I really kind of want to see Aaron Rodgers talk about Aaron Rodgers without ESPN interviewing him in an ESPN type format. Or I really want to see Elon Musk talk about colonizing Mars. I do want to hear some of their personal thoughts. 
And I see some value in that. That's non ABC, NBC, CBS oriented programming. Facebook is building Clubhouse a competitor already. They're researching multiple variations of an audio chat product. People familiar with matters say. It's interesting, though, not surprising. Facebook is the king of copying competition. We've seen this time and time again that they see Snap. Oh, we could do that. They tried to buy Snap for $3 billion and got turned down. So Zuckerberg's like, well, okay, I'll just make it and scale it into my product. Twitter, too, has been talking for months about coming out with its version of Clubhouse called Spaces. Online audio conversations kind of sounds a little bit like a fancy podcast or a fancy video cast. (laughs) Two sneezes again. The sun will come out tomorrow. You can bet your bottom dollar. And I'm starting to get allergies because the sun's coming out after a rainy season. Little pollen thing going on. I know. I know you're saying, didn't Jay-Z sing? It's a hard knock life with Annie. And copying and title is being sold to Square. Jay-Z's title, which he bought for $200 million roughly, and he's selling it for $750 million. Not a bad entrepreneur, that Jay-Z. Doesn't come out with a lot of music these days. But it's not like he invented music streaming. He just said, let's just do music streaming with really high data bit rate, for lack of a better. I don't know what the, what the term is. But it's it's uncompressed music, so it sounds really good compared to compressed music. And I don't have the ear for that, which is pretty interesting that I'm in radio. I have no my ear can't tell the difference between a ten dollar AirPod and a hundred dollar AirPod. Oh, maybe I could, but I can't go. Oh, the, the hi hat's really ringing nicely. It's like with wine, I like it or I don't. And I haven't had a lot of wine in the last ten years. So, in fact, I've had none. I found that I got really, really, really blotchy (laughs) drinking wine, which kind of sucks. And I'm not going to take an antihistamine when I take it, when I drink, so not going to happen. Okay, so copying, and I'm I'm tying this all together kind of fun with Jay-Z and Tidal and Hard Knock Life and Annie and Rosebud and the sun will come out tomorrow and I'm sneezing on air. But what I saw Mark Zuckerberg in a clubhouse interview, I'm like, he's going to copy it. And the media is like, oh, Facebook's copied, and he's the king of copycatting. But he learned it all. It's, it's what tech does. Bill Gates is the king of copying. A lot of people think Microsoft sucks because they stopped innovation because they started copying. Now, where do you fall into that? You're like, well, if, if I get a good Clubhouse app feature out of it, I'm fine. I don't care. Instagram. Something that Facebook basically said, we will never integrate into Facebook. And WhatsApp, we will never integrate into Facebook. And he's already done all three of those kind of things. Like, It's not that you can't trust them. It's that, well, you can't trust them. As a CEO, do I like it? I love it. I want him to do what's best for his company. Is it a great long-term plan to copy instead of innovate? Probably not the greatest. But Bill Gates was the king of it. In 1982, I was building computers. I was a little high school brat, maybe pre-high school. 
and you can order the parts. Companies like Fry's and Comp USA on the East Coast. You can go get a motherboard. You can go get the semiconductor. You can go get the semiconductor glue. You can go get the fans. It's not that hard to put together. What is it, like 10 pieces ultimately? It's it's good to have a static mat, and it's good to uh, wash your hands. Um, and it's good to know when the electricity is plugged in and when it's not, but it's not that hard other than those basic simple rules. And you can build yourself a great computer, which is something I did in the pandemic with my kids. Uh, showed them the art of building your own gaming rig because I thought it was a skill that was kind of cool as a kid, and to this day I still do. But <clears throat> hard drives were something that were frustrating. And to this day, the new Sony PlayStation 5 has a terabyte hard drive. SSD, solid state drive, so it's super fast. But after you put all the Sony stuff on it, it's only got about 850 gigs. And some games now are like 100, 200 gigs. They're huge. So you can only fit four, five, six games onto your Sony PlayStation 5. So they, Sony's already said, we have to come up with an outside storage solution. We know that. The reason we didn't launch with it because it was too hot. It was, too, it was causing too many internal problems. But we're going to turn that feature on at some point. So that you can go out and buy an external drive for it. The point being is that there was a company that made software called Stacker. And they would turn a 20 meg drive into a 40 meg drive. Or a 40 meg drive into an 80. Or 100 into 200. You get the idea. And it was just software. It figured out a way to take what storage was there and double storage capacity. Probably through some compression algorithms and things like that, right? Um, and they sold it for... 1999 and bill gates like yeah that's a cool feature we'll build that into microsoft so if you have a hard drive it'll automatically have twice the space thanks for the idea copying good idea bad idea is it flattering or does it put companies out of business puts companies out of business in technology i'm rob black talking all things financial Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing and more. Show dedicated to getting you to retirement. One area of caution is trying to do it too fast, too soon, or trying to catch up for years of underperformance or lack of caring. That's where I see most people make mistakes, financially speaking. It's not that people invest in their 401k. It's that they start too late. It's not that people pick a stock loser or two. It's that they bet too big on a stock loser or two. I've lost money on stocks that I didn't know what I was doing. Got in, didn't really have a good plan to get out. It's okay. It's, it's trying to hit the home run is where you get hurt. And that's where people don't understand real estate hurts you. You're trying to hit a home run the moment you get into it. You're like, well, I don't have enough money to buy a $600,000 duplex or a million dollar duplex. So I'm going to go to the bank and borrow it. That's the risk. It's not in the real estate. The real estate's probably going to work out in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. It's the risk is your ability to pay it back in good times and bad times. The risk is the tenant who goes, screw you, dude. I'm taking the copper pipes with me. The risk is, you know, under insurance. That's kind of an easy one to fix. So I see problems when people try to hit too hard. 
got an email yesterday on Bitcoin. And I don't know what else to say. It's like, if you want to make it 1% of your portfolio, I think that makes a ton of sense. That's fine. Just don't go too much more than that. And if that 1% grows into 2%, that's great. But he's asking me when it's at 50,000. He didn't ask me when it was down 80%. And again, I just, I see this mistake a little bit too often to not, again, point it out to you. Um, and I told you recently, uh, I think it's, I, I think it's a lovely idea, but I still don't know one person who's bought a computer with it, a car with it. And that, no, no, this is the year where institutions start saying, we want some of the stuff. And I think you have space to get into it if you want to do 1%. But I see people who want to do $50,000 or people come to me and they go, I got $5,000 to invest. What should I put it in? Your only bet should not be Bitcoin. That's not the right way of doing this game, so to speak. A friend of mine's an attorney, and we've been talking recently, and he goes, most people are going to lose money. And jokingly, I said, would you tell your audience? Would you tell my audience? And he goes, no way. He goes, I'm going to start my own Bitcoin. And he's a IP patent attorney. Real smart tech guy. One of those guys from high school, college that you probably remember that was socially awkward. That married the first woman who he dated and he didn't date her until he was like 28, maybe. Um, I'm not knocking on late dating. But I think it's great. This guy's got some good money. He's got some good coin. He's a smart man. But I get asked my opinion on Bitcoin, and I have no investment rating on Bitcoin. There are major concerns that are fair. Mark Cuban says, if you want to own 1%, that's fine. I think that's good enough advice. An attorney that I know warns that you better find a good app to store it, because if your app ever gets hacked, you're going to lose it all. It's not that the Bitcoin's going to be hacked. It's that your wallet will be hacked. And I'm starting to think the world's been hacked 10 times over, just between you and me. Uh, so I asked the guy who emailed me, I said, are you okay if it drops 80%? And he goes, no. I'm like, well, it just dropped 80% three years ago. So that's like dating someone that the first, on your first, uh, or you read about them in the newspaper, that they lit their husband's apartment on fire and burned it to the ground, and now she's divorced and eligible. You marry her, there's a chance she's going to burn your house down one day. Just throwing it out there. You've heard about it, okay? Same thing with Bitcoin. Uh, what happens if the original founder sell, uh, sells? There's some theories on Bitcoin. This is the wildest thing. And these have not... I'm not really a conspiracy theory guy, so I could be totally wrong here. But there's a conspiracy theory that Bitcoin was founded by one person. And that he has trillions of dollars of wealth that he, no, at this point in time, he has hundreds of billions of dollars. Of that he is probably the richest man in the world. And that at any point in time, if he wants to liquidate that position, it would cause Bitcoin to basically crash to zero. He would basically, it would have been a Ponzi scheme where everyone was feeding his, his piggy bank. Everyone was feeding his piggy bank. And then he pulls out and goes, guess what? You got zero one one zero one one zero one zero. You got digital numbers. Congratulations. 
it's more than that. But when you're answering someone's email of, can you give me an update on Bitcoin? I see major players are investing. I have an interest in investing. <clears throat> How would you rate the investment? Speculative. So <clears throat> investing in Microsoft, you know they're going to come out with an Xbox next year. Investing in Bitcoin, you don't know if it's going to be round, but you assume it will. So as long as you know the risk, that's all I care about. As I wrote, I said, it's fallen 80% and that makes some people uncomfortable. Could it happen again? Sure. Will it go higher? I don't know. Will it go lower? I don't know. What happens if the original seller dies? I don't know. What happens if he dumps on the market? I don't know. It, it's all, it's, it's very, very tough for the average person to wrap their head around. And again, the point of the segment was to talk about Investing's not risky in a house. It's the borrowing the money. Investing in stocks, you can cut your risk down by giving you the proper time frame and betting on great companies. I would rather hear a question from this guy. What do you think about investing in Walmart than investing in Bitcoin? Is Walmart still a great company? Are they still relevant? Over 30 years, I think Walmart will go higher. Over 30 years, I don't know where Bitcoin will be. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.